Assalamualaikum, welcome to another episode of My Journey Podcast. I'm your host Anya and today's episode is a continuation of the last time's episode which is about the Prophet's life and 40 years prior to prophethood. So last time we talked about um, many things including, um, I think the last thing we talked about was um, Bahira who was a monk. So I'll be continuing on with um, that and I'll be ending this um episode of 40 years prior to prophethood and then we'll be going on to the next topic so the prophet he didn't really have any job because obviously he was still young but it's reported in some places that he worked as a shepherd for bani saad which was another tribe and it was in mecca so he had a job as a shepherd in mecca and so that was in his childhood, but at the age of 25, he was known to work as a merchant for, merchant for Khadija radiallahu anha. So at that time, and even after she married the Prophet, Khadija was known to be a great business, businesswoman, and she had great honor and fortune. Like Everyone respected her, everyone knew her, everyone knew how she was a really good influential per- person at that time. So when Khadija found out that um, the prophet, like, about his character and everything, um, she sent for him, like, she sent for him to be, like, to work with, for her, and so she offered him money, and she offered him money to go to Syria, actually, and do her business there, and then she said that, if you do this for me, I will give you, like, a higher rate than other people, so obviously, the prophet took this job, and he went to do, um, trade for her in Syria for a while, so this was um before and so now we're going to be moving on to the marriage of Khadija. I didn't really want to talk much about the prophet's jobs since there isn't much known about it, but um I'm going to talk about more about how Khadija and the prophet met. So when the prophet was sent to Syria and he came back to Mecca, Khadija noticed that she had many more blessings in her um basically in her business overall so she had more profits um she, she was like she knew of like the prophet's good manners um she got to know more about his honesty his sincerity and so she saw like his great character obviously she already knew he was a great person but he she saw how him working for her made like things for her better as well so she then found out that oh this is the person that I want so when she found out that this is the one that she, she she would like to marry, she told her friend Nafisa, um, who was the daughter of Muniya, and she told her, her friend, and her friend, like, instantly went and told the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So, when he, the Prophet Sallallahu found out, um, he told his uncles to go to Khadija's uncle at the time and discuss the matter. And so they discussed the matter and obviously afterwards they were married. And it was the marriage was witnessed by Bani Hashim and many heads of Mudar. And it took um, place after he was um, he came back from Syria. So as we know, um, the Prophet was sent to Syria at the age of 25. And so he came back and... The dowry was 25 camels, and she was the first person that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam married. 
and it's all, all everyone always asks a question that oh um how did the prophet sallam have four wives like how is that the limit when he had many more wives the thing is he had wives at a different point of time so if he had four wives he did not have more than that so if one passed away he would marry another one he wouldn't have five six wives at the same time he would have them in different times and there would be four like maximum and so the difference between all the wives of the prophet and khadija was that he khadija was the only one that he had been with and not had been with anyone else until she died so until the prophet um khadija radiyallahu anha died he did not marry any other person um so um everyone also is very confused at the prophet's children and a lot of people don't know much about his um children so Khadija had all his children who were Al-Qasim, Zainab, Ruqayya, Umm Kulthum, Fatima and Abdullah except for um Ibrahim. And she, all of the daughters of um Khadija radiyallahu anha had passed away and all of um the sons had passed away during the Prophet Sallam's lifetime except for Fatima. Um, and Fatima died six months after his death. So all of them were also Muslims and they Im- Im- uh, migrated to um, Medina when it was time. So that's just a basic summary. That's what the Prophet Sallallahu used to work as, how he met Khadija, which was through um, her hiring him. And how a lot of people see that it's a taboo or like a non- known fact that the girl can't send or like the woman or the girl's side of the family can't send the um, marriage proposal, which is wrong, obviously. We see in the Prophet Sallallahu life that Khadija was the one who sent the proposal. So that also clears up a lot of like misconceptions, which is cultural misconceptions, that the girl side is not allowed to send the proposal, which is actually not right, because as we all know, the Prophet Sallallahu proposal was sent by Khadija. Given a bit, um, now that I've given a bit of summary of the Prophet's job and how he met Khadija, I'm going to talk about a little bit, just a little summary about the um, incident of the rebuilding of the Kaaba, and then I'll give a summary of um, the Prophet's biography before prophethood. This episode is really just a chill episode. I'm not giving too much content in it because I really want to give like the little snippets of information before the prophethood because it's important, um, and I don't want to really move on to the next topic without giving all of the information that I think is really important to know. So after um, this all happened, and the Prophet was 35 at this point, the Quraysh started rebuilding the Kaaba, and this was because there was many, many different reasons, um, some of them being that it was a low building, it was roofless, um, so many thieves could get in, and the Kaaba had been weakened and the walls were cracked because it was built many, many years ago, right? So five years before prophethood, there was also a great flood in Mecca, which also nearly demolished the Kaaba. So this was another reason why they needed to rebuild the Kaaba. And so the Quraysh were basically forced to rebuild the Kaaba because they had to safeguard its holiness and its, um, basically its it's meaning because the Kaaba is holy to everyone, even though you're a Muslim or not Muslim. And so when they were building it, they also decided that they're going to use halal or licit money and not money used from immoral um, means. And so any money that was used for immoral or gotten from immoral means, they left it out. 
And so when they started building it, every tribe was responsible for one part of it, right? And they all worked in harmony, everything was fine until it came to putting the sacred black stone in its proper place. Now, if you don't know what that is, um, it's basically the little stone on the Gaba. Um, if you haven't been to Mecca or Hajj or like Umrah or anything, you've probably seen it in photos. So they wanted to put that up, but they didn't know who to do. So everyone started fighting and there was a strife among the chiefs for at least four or five days. And so everyone was like, no, I'm going to do it because I'm better than you or this and that. And they all started fighting. And one of the chiefs said, whoever enters the sanctuary decides on the point who should do it. So everyone agreed on this. So whoever entered the masjid first would decide who puts a um, black stone in this place. So when they were all looking at the sanctuary or the masjid, um, they saw that the Prophet had walked in and they were very, very happy because... Um, even before prophethood, the prophet was very trustworthy and they all called him Al-Amin, which is basically the trustworthy one. And so the prophet them decided that um, they're gonna, he, he, he has a better way of um, making everyone involved. So he said he wants a mantle and he laid it out on the ground and placed the stone in its center and asked all the representative of all the tribes and clans to come together and lift the stone all together so that no one's left out. And so when it came to putting the black stone in its proper place, everyone helped, but the Prophet Sallallahu was the one to put it, um, to basically fix it up. You know, when something's wonky or like it's not in the right place, so the Prophet Sallallahu with his own hands put the stone in its place. That's also why it's holy, because the Prophet was the one who put it in its place, but also because it's a part of Jannah. The, so the stone is a part of um, Jannah, and Allah put brought it. Um, it was a miracle, basically. Um, so... This incident basically shows the wisdom of the Prophet and it's a really important story to know because we all think that many many non-Muslims actually think that the Prophet was like um, some miracle or like this or that and he had like miracles coming to him and he just became good after he was Prophet but no that's not the case everyone knew the Prophet to be a good person and with a good character even before prophethood. So this is an important part that I really wanted to share. Um, so a little summary before prophethood would be that the Prophet was known to be a very exemplary man of weighty mind and faultless insight. So this part I'm reading is from the book on page 81. So he was favoured with intelligence, originality of thought and accurate choice of the means leading to accurate goals. His vivid mind and pure nature helped in assimilating and comprehending ways of life and people. And he took an active part in constructive and useful dealings. He kept himself aloof from drinking wine, eating meat, slaughtered on stolen altars, or attending idolatrous festivals. So, before I continue on with my summary, um, this part, he kept himself away from drinking wine, eating meat, slaughtered on stone altars, or attending idolatrous festivals, was before prophethood. And a lot of people are like, oh, but why would he do that if he's, if he's not Muslim yet? It's because he just had a natural instinct that he knew that this wasn't right so he stayed away from all of this stuff um allah's guidance and care detached the prophet from all evil practices and when he tried to obey his instinct to enjoy some life pleasures um allah's providence interviewed to control any slip in this course so even if he tried to do something bad he wouldn't be kind of allowed because he had this consciousness and allah didn't really allow him and so 
The Prophet was known to have distinct, be, be a distinguished person among his people for his modesty, virtuous behavior, and graceful manners. He proved himself to be the ideal of manhood and to possess a spotless character. He was most obliging to his comp- compatriots, the most honest in his talk, and the mildest in temper. He was the most gentle-hearted, chaste, and, hospi- and hospitable. He always impressed people by his piety-inspiring expressions. He was the most truthful and the best to keep a covenant, which is basically a promise. His fellow citizens, by common consent, gave him the title of Al-Amin, the trustworthy. The mother of believers, Khadija radiallahu anha, once said, and this is what I'm going to end off with, she said, he maintains ties of kinship, he helps the poor and the needy, he entertains guests and stands with the oppressed for truth. So this little summary just basically gave us a quick insight into how the Prophet's character was even before prophethood. Obviously, he, he was not prophet yet and he was not a proper Muslim yet, but he already had the natural instinct to be a good person and to be a role model for everyone. Always everyone called him Al-Amin, which was a trustworthy one. He always kept a promise. He never really broke your trust. And he was basically overall a good person with good character who everyone looked up to. Um, That's basically it for this episode. I know that was kind of short, but um, this is just a little summary. And next time we'll be talking about... So... There's different parts of the Prophet Sallallahu life after um he got prophethood. So there's the Meccan period, which is 13 years, the Medinian period, which is 10 years. And in those periods, there's three levels. So in the Meccan period and Medinian period, the Meccan period can be divided into three levels, which is the phase of a secret invasion, which was for three years, um, the public invitation of Islam to the people of Mecca and the invitation outside of Mecca. So obviously there were stages of giving prophet um giving um revelation to everyone and these were the different phrases and I'll start with um how the Prophet and them really got revelation which was in the famous story of the cave of Hira and basically just how he felt and how he was go what he was going through when he got revelation. So that's basically it. Um, if you want more information about my podcast, please go follow my Instagram on My Journey Podcast. And if you want more information, you can always message me, DM me um, on Instagram. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Listen to all my other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and be sure to check out for more information on my platforms on My Journey Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you had a good day. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.